My name is Dr. Anika Molesworth and I'm a farmer in Australia. Uh, my name is Sylvia Kuria and I'm a small-scale organic farmer uh, based in Nairobi. I became very interested in climate change when I was a child. When I was 12 years old, we had a very bad drought. Um, I think for me, what has really driven me is that uh, for a long time, the narrative has been that safe organic produce is only for a chosen few because what has happened is organic produce for a long time has actually been seen as a niche uh, product. Hello, welcome to the Chakula podcast, where we delve into the pressing issues shaping our food and farming systems. I'm your host, Felistas Mwalia. The Chakula podcast is a podcast of the Root to Food Initiative, which is a program of the Heinrich Paul Foundation. We work on agroecology and pushing for the realization of the human right to food in Kenya. Agri-food systems remain highly vulnerable to shocks and disruptions arising from climate change, conflicts, and economic contraction, among other factors. These factors, combined with growing inequities, keep challenging the capacity of agri-food systems to deliver nutritious, safe, and affordable diets for all. These major drivers of food insecurity and malnutrition are not our new normal. We have no option but to redouble our efforts to transform our food systems, or basically our agri-food systems, and leverage them towards reaching the SDG2 targets. These words are not words from myself or basically from the Root to Food Initiative, but rather words that have been quoted on the state of food and nutrition security, the FOSOFI report, 2022 report. And today's discussion, we shall be delving on one of the many factors of food insecurity, that's climate change. And we have the pleasure of having two farmers in the studio. The two farmers, I would say, they operate in two similar context, but two different contexts. I don't know if that makes sense, but we have Sylvia Kuria, who's an organic farmer here in Kenya, and we have Dr. Anika Molesworth, who's also a farmer. She's based in Australia. She's a farmer, and she also doubles as a scientist and a storyteller. Thank you so much for joining us. Perhaps you could give an introduction to our listeners on who Sylvia is and who Dr. Anika is and why are you working in this space and why is this space so important to you and why is climate change an important topic for the both of you as farmers? Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on this show, Feli, um, and it's a real honour to be here with Sylvia, uh, also a farmer. So my name is Dr. Anika Molesworth, and I'm a farmer in Australia, and I live on my family's farm where we have sheep and goats. And I became very interested in climate change when I was a child. When I was 12 years old, uh, we had a very bad drought that lasted 10 years and so for 10 years, we had little to no rainfall and I watched the vegetation disappear, the dust storms, the sandstorms come, you know, every week, the temperature was getting hotter. We had to sell all the sheep and the goats. Um, and I watched the people in my community also suffer. You know, they were moving to the cities because of this drought event and as a, a young person, I was really concerned about what was happening around me and the impact it was having on my farm, this place that I loved, and the people that I really care about, my family and my community. And so I started to question, how do we farm sustainably in the most environmentally responsible way? And how do we manage climate change so that the next generation of farmers have a climate safe world to, to grow food in? So to answer your question, why food? 
because it is the foundation of any society. If we have good food, then we have good human nutrition. So we can go and learn in our schools. We can get a job. It means social stability. It means the opportunity to um, to do things. Uh, but when we have broken food systems, especially food systems that have been broken by climate change, that's when we see people going hungry. That's when we see unemployment. We see conflict. And we also see the degradation of the natural world. So that's why food is so important to me. And I'll hand over to Sylvia. Thank you very much. Um, like for that, Dr. Annika, uh, my name is Sylvia Kuria, and I'm a small-scale organic farmer uh, based in Nairobi. Just about 60 kilometers from Nairobi is where we have our mixed farm, where we have uh, our beef cattle, and we also uh, keep uh, lots of vegetables. We grow lots of vegetables. I think for me, this conversation, you know, is very important because, you know, I actually grew up in the city, so I was actually born and bred in the city. And only moved out um, to uh, the country when I got my first child. That was about uh, 15 years ago. And I remember, you know, when we moved out into the country is when I started uh, being really connected to the land. You know, being in the city, I think I was very oblivious to the fact on uh, of how food is grown. And I remember, you know, being given half an acre to start growing my own family food. And that was the very time, uh, the very first time, sorry, I got to interact with pests. And I was very surprised that people were spraying chemicals, you know, on the food that, you know, we should be eating. And I think for me, that's when, you know, my nudge to actually know how to grow safe food for my family was actually, um, you know, uh, grown in that uh, uh, space because I was just so surprised that, you know, people were growing you know, lots of good food, but then had to douse the food with, you know, so many pesticides and stuff. And that's when I actually uh, got to read and learn more about uh, farming. And I actually chose uh, to become an organic farmer and realized that the importance of this is just to make sure that, you know, I'm able to make sure that my my children and my family are able to be fed well. But then beyond that, we have actually grown to train and work with uh, smallholder farmers, especially women, to be able to grow their own kitchen gardens, to make sure that they have access to good food for their families all year round. And also beyond that, be able to make the food accessible. So we have a, um, a shop, we have Sylvia's Basket, a brand name whereby we actually have organic farm shops where we supply, uh, you know, some safe organic produce to young mothers just like me out there in the city and one thing i always say is that you know when we encourage people to actually go out and look for safe organic produce you know uh, my consumers in nairobi may not be able to grow food when when we as farmers grow food sustainably and consumers buy food that is grown sustainably we all work together to mitigate uh, you know, the negative effects of climate change. And we are able to actually uh, put a stamp and actually say that, you know, we are going to make sure the food is grown well and consumers will make sure that they're only going to consume food that is grown sustainably. And I think as we work together as producers and consumers, you know, um, in this quest for sustainability, then we can actually be able to reduce um, the negative impacts of climate change. And as Dr. Anika said, maybe, maybe in a small way, um, 
fix the broken food systems. Thank you so much, Sylvia, and thank you so much, Dr. Nika. That's truly inspiring. And it's quite interesting that the both of you have some similarities and commonalities. For instance, your profound connection to the land and your dedication to addressing climate change in agriculture, basically through the measures that you're taking, through the measures that you're taking to address climate change as farmers. Perhaps you could just share with our listeners some of the pivotal moments or experiences during during the work that you've been doing that sparked your passion for creating a better more and more sustainable future for our planet through agri-food systems and through agriculture? Yes, yeah, certainly. Well, I guess the drought when I was a child was the thing that drove me to be concerned about climate change. But something that really sparked my passion and excitement, I guess, to work in this space was when we founded an organisation here in Australia called Farmers for Climate Action. And we have now 8,000 farmers, part of this network. And these farmers, they're all over Australia. They produce all kinds of foods and fibres. They're very diverse, but they all have a passion to to learn how to mitigate the effects of climate change to adapt and to restore the health of our natural ecosystems. And just being surrounded by people like that, who are driven and determined and who dream of a better future, is something that just gives me so much energy and so much hope for a sustainable future and for sustainable agriculture. I think for me, you know, it's similar to what I'd actually said earlier on. It's just to, you know, um, I think for me, what has really driven me is that uh, for a long time, the narrative has been that safe organic produce is only for a chosen few because what has happened is organic produce for a long time has actually been seen as a niche product, uh, product. and uh, when you say the word niche you know you already say that it's only for those who can be able to afford or only for a specific um, 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 part in the community that is able to access it and you know for me I actually thought to myself no organic safe produce is actually a fundamental human right every single person should actually be able to access safe food and um i think for me what i just wanted to see happening you know within my space and in the work that we're doing is to make organic produce one affordable and you know when you make it affordable then you're able to make it accessible and that's the thing that we have really been working hard at to make sure that it's very accessible young mothers are able to get it we are able to make sure that we are uh, raising our families and our children you know from the right start eating the right food and uh, maybe just to give a quick example um, our second branch we've opened a new branch of Sylvia's basket in a you know quite a populous area and you know it's in an area where they don't have access to uh, fresh farm produce. And for us having a branch there, I remember yesterday at the shop, having a young uh, lady who walked in to buy some uh, produce for her ailing grandmother. And she said, I'm so grateful that we can actually be able to afford and we can be able to access, you know, uh, safe produce for my family. And for me, that really touched me that the work we're doing is actually uh, Greening leaps and bounds in that we are making it accessible to as many people as possible. That's truly impressive, Sylvia, given the fact that 
you're trying to not even try and given the fact that you, you're producing food in a way that doesn't compromise. Basically, you're producing food in a way that won't jeopardize the environment, basically, in ensuring that even future generations will be able to grow food in the same piece of land. But Dr. Anika, in your extensive work as a, as a scientist, I know the definition of climate change might seem easy to everyone, but I know 100% it's also not easy for everyone. In your extensive work as a scientist, could you share with our listeners in layman's language what climate change is? Yeah, so climate change is when the world is being heated by the sun's rays, but because we're putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, it's like it's making a thick blanket in the atmosphere. And so when the sun's rays come and warm the earth, they then can't escape. And so we end up with this heating around the world. Um, and and obviously, this impacts all things. It impacts the land, it impacts the water, it impacts, uh, you know, native biodiversity, plants and animals, and of course, the food and farming systems, which we all depend upon. And because we are releasing greenhouse gas emissions, especially by the burning of coal, oil and gas, um, that's having a really big impact but these emissions come from all different sectors, from, you know, the way we transport ourselves and our goods, the ways we grow food and fibres in agricultural systems, the way we manufacture and use industrial processes. And it's also the removal of carbon sinks like forests, which actually take in carbon and give, carb uh, give oxygen. So when we remove those natural carbon sinks, that's also exacerbating the problem. Just my main question here, you see, at the beginning, we, I introduced yourself as a scientist and someone who also shares stories around climate change, around food and around sustainable food and farming systems. Perhaps, Dr. Anika, you could take us back on where we, where are we going wrong? Also, where are we and how agriculture is a key path to our solution, basically? Over to you, Dr. Anika. Yeah, so agriculture is a very interesting part of the climate change puzzle because it is a producer of greenhouse gas emissions, as in our ruminant animals like cattle and sheep and goats, they burp methane, which is quite a strong greenhouse gas. We're also working with the soil, releasing carbon dioxide there if we remove vegetation. So there's many ways that agriculture is contributing to climate change. We're also one of the most vulnerable sectors to the impacts of climate change. So when we have a drought or a flood or a wildfire or different pests and diseases, the farmers are the people who feel it first and they feel it worst because they live and work so closely with the natural environment. But the exciting piece of the puzzle is that agriculture is a key part of the solution. So when we improve our agricultural practices, we reduce those greenhouse gas emissions. When we improve the way we produce food um, in our farming systems, we have better food security. And so when we talk about climate solutions and where we are going and where we want to get to, agriculture has to be you know, at the centre of those conversations. And so when I think about how do we use agriculture as a, a solution and you know, where we can reduce emissions, 
We can reduce methane from our livestock with better breeding, so we have better genetics, um, and you know improve the the health of our livestock because sick livestock they use resources, they may die, so they're producing um, greenhouse gases unnecessarily without producing a food source. We can also change the way that we're using land, so we can plant more trees, agroforestry, or reef forestation. Um, we can use native foods. So native plants often use less chemicals. They're better suited to the soils and the climate. So they need less inputs. We can also look at electrifying our businesses. So moving away from those fossil fuels, coal, oil, and gas, and using solar panels and wind turbines to power our homes and our businesses. So there are many, many solutions out there which can be adopted by farmers and by rural communities, um, but they will be tweaked and tailored so they are appropriate for each community. Dr. Nika, I want to open another box now that you're talking about some of the climate change solutions and you talked about agriculture heavily and I know you as a farmer, but Dr. Nika, the box that I want to open is on fertilizers. There's so much conversation. There's so much conversation. Basically, there's so much there's so much conversation happening around fertilizers and we see so many governments embracing fertilizers and urging farmers to actually embrace fertilizers to produce more food. But from a scientific perspective and from you as a farmer, is this really a short-term solution to ensuring that a lot of food is produced? But in the long term, do fertilizers really have effects on climate change? Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So fertilizer use is a very interesting part of the conversation because uh, urea, which is a nitrogen fertilizer, helps crops to grow and grow productively and quickly and produce larger quantities um, of, of grain or produce. But a lot of that nitrogen is actually lost when nitrogen fertilizer like urea is applied. Only about 40% is actually taken up by the crop. And so that nitrogen either, you know, leaches into the soil and water table or gets released into the atmosphere as nitrous oxide, which again is a very potent greenhouse gas. So we have to be very careful when we are using fertilizers to apply them at the right time, at the right rate, at the right placement, and at the right quantity so that the plant is actually utilising those nutrients taking them up, producing, um, you know, an edible food for us, and so that nitro nitrogen is not being lost to the atmosphere. So it's very critical that farmers understand best fertiliser use practices. Sylvia, do you have anything that you'd like to add specifically around where we are going wrong, specifically for you as a farmer here in Kenya? And also, we, I know you've talked about some of the mitigating measures that you're taking, but also do you have any challenges that you're really facing as a farmer that are linked to climate change? Yeah, of course, the major challenge, um, you know, that we've been dealing with, you know, it's interesting to listen to Dr. Nika saying they had a drought for 10 years. I mean, my heart just cuddled because... <laughs> I was like, I can't imagine 10 years because, you know, for us, we've had a drought for two and a half years here in Kenya, and it's been really, really difficult. You know, just, um, you know, the weather patterns being very unpredictable, I think for us has been our major, um, uh, um, 
challenge uh, right now because we're just not able to um you know to plan and to be able to predict uh how to plant when to plant and when you know uh, like which crops to plant but maybe just to quickly mention uh two major challenges and for me i'm just going to uh focus on the uh, sector in agriculture because that's where i'm at and that's where i feel that i have more knowledge and experience and one of it is basically um the issue to do with uh monocropping you know when we had the green revolution which was introduced um you know in africa in the early 2000s whereby we were told that we need to plant lots of maize and do lots of monocropping on large parcels of land so that we can be food secure unfortunately this didn't uh you know translate into food security many years down the line you know this monocropping and green revolution has actually really compromised on our food security it's compromised on our especially biodiversity um what uh, something else that has happened because we don't have good biodiversity which means that we have uh, made sure that now i mean a consequence of that is that nature is not able to fight for itself and you know when you have those sort of gaps then you find that uh we have to use a lot of inputs synthetic inputs in terms of the fertilizer we've talked about we've talked about um we've also used a lot of we use a lot of pesticides and herbicides just to be able to grow this one crop on thousands of acres so the solution for me go back to uh increasing our biodiversity go back to growing our local indigenous foods our local indigenous foods are actually uh resilient you know to the effects of uh, climate change our local foods are nutrient dense you know they are able to grow very well in harsh conditions um you know they are more readily available so i think for us we should go back to diversity number one number two go back to growing our own food and when we do that you know we'll actually be able to bring back uh, our biodiversity and uh with that we'll actually be able to um you know somehow survive these negative effects that have come upon us right now Dr. Anika, I really want to take advantage for the fact that I have you in studio today and ask as many questions as possible. And one question that I really want to ask is around carbon credits. It's a fairly new topic for me. So perhaps do you have any insights that you would really like to share with our listeners on what this is all about and is it really a climate change solution? Yes, certainly. So this is um yeah, a relatively new term that has emerged the carbon credit it's in the carbon market so it's really being paid to sequester carbon um and you get a credit i guess for that uh to produce carbon too so for instance a manufacturing company is wanting to you know produce clothes or cars and they know that they're releasing a certain amount of carbon dioxide in that process but they want to offset their carbon emissions and by doing that they will pay for example a farmer to plant trees and as those trees grow they're taking up carbon dioxide um and you know putting carbon in their trunks and their branches and leaves and roots and into the soil and so the farmer is getting paid to you know do carbon farming so this is a relatively new market here in Australia as well and it's still you know being developed and evolving you know what prices people are being paid to sequester carbon 
Um, you know, what are these carbon credits worth? So I think it will be a very interesting topic and interesting space over the next few years to see what emerges um, in different countries around the world. But the main um, way that we're going to solve climate change is not by offsetting emissions, it's actually by reducing our emissions. So the industries, the manufacturers, the energy producers, um, energy from coal, oil and gas, they actually need to reduce the amount of emissions they're releasing, not offsetting them, saying we will continue to do what we've always done, but we'll pay a farmer to plant some trees as a substitute, because that doesn't actually um, you know, solve this problem that we are in. Yeah, thank you so much, Sylvia. You had mentioned about monocultures and also relying so much on external inputs like pesticides. But do you also have anything else that you'd like to add on where we are going wrong, specifically from the context where we're operating in here in Kenya? Okay, maybe let me just say real quick. I think we've really focused on, um, we've, okay, just, let me put it this way. Um, 80% of the food that is produced, um, like in the world, is produced by small-scale farmers. I think we're in agreement of that. And uh, what has happened is, uh, you know, like in as much as the smallholder farmers are the ones producing the food that we eat, you know, we still are not able to, you know, um, you know, work with them adequately uh, for us to actually be able to combat the negative effects of of climate change. Sometimes I feel that, you know, a lot of focus is still uh, being put on, you know, uh, the large scale farmers who are mainly growing food that is exported. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, um, how we transport our food and how we travel is actually affecting, you know, the climate. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are increasing on our greenhouse gases by just the way we transport our foods and things of the sort. And yet, if we are able to focus on the local smallholder farmers, make sure that, you know, we are growing food sustainably and even, um, you know, having something like uh, uh, local and territorial markets whereby we're making sure food doesn't have to travel thousands of kilometers from the farm to our plates. So I think for me, that's another thing that we are quite passionate about to make sure that one, we focus on smallholder farmers and two, make sure we are able you know, to grow local territorial markets and making sure that food doesn't have to travel for large distances. So over and above being able to make sure we are growing food sustainably, then we should also have sustainable markets, so to speak, and avoid having food, having traveling uh, like for long distances. Yeah. Thank you. Dr. Anika, anything to add? I'm very inspired by everything that Sylvia is saying, actually, um, and it really fills me with hope that we can have this beautiful future if we are courageous now and change the things that we recognise are not working anymore um, because we do have a lot of options out there, a lot of ways that we can improve the way that we're managing land and producing foods. And I think everyone, not just farmers, but everyone who eats food should be part of these important conversations and advocating for better food systems. Yeah, thank you so much, Sylvia. Dr. Anika, now around the discussion on climate solutions, are there any other innovative strategies that you've left behind that we'd really love to add to the discussion today? One that I would like to mention is animal health. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reading a study this week about greenhouse gas emissions in Kenyan dairy systems. And if Kenyan farmers are able to deworm their cattle and make them healthier, this could reduce their greenhouse gas emissions by about 20%. And so over the course of a year, that would save about 8 billion kilograms of carbon dioxide equivalent, um, increase the Kenyan dairy sector by a revenue of about 2 billion US dollars, you know, helping to lift farmers out of poverty. And obviously, if we have healthier animals and more productive livestock, then we don't need to expand agriculture into natural environments. So we can actually produce food on less land size and save the ecosystems and biodiversity. Also having healthier animals and you know healthier dairy cows would give the average Kenyan about two kilograms of extra protein per year. So that was just a very simple case study that I was reading about that is an example of you know, how you can achieve better health for the environment, better human health, better animal welfare, and better economic growth altogether by, you know, helping farmers reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So that's a win-win. We've now come to the end of the show. And thank you so much, Dr. Anika, for sharing your insights. And also thank you so much, Sylvia, for sharing your insights. Do you have any parting shots that you love to leave our listeners with I think for me, let me just jump in here real quick. I've been so inspired by Dr. Annika and I'd love to meet her one of the days because I just find that, you know, um, you know, that we are doing the same thing, uh, like in our different spaces. And I think I've learned a lot also about uh, the climate change and also the final comments that she talked about animal health. Um, I think that really inspires me because I'm an upcoming uh, beef farmer and I think what she's speaking about, you know, has really touched my heart. And I think just for me to also just share with the listeners, you know, that, you know, we still have food heroes, we still have people all around the world, you know, very passionate about our food systems. And I think if we are to work together, like I said, farmers uh, move to more sustainable farming practices and consumers making choices to grow food that is uh, farmed sustainably, I think we'll be able to make a big difference in the uh, climate change um, um, challenges that we are facing right now. Thank you very much, Feli, for this time. Asante. Yeah, likewise, um, just amazing to hear what Sylvia has been saying. And I think for your listeners, you know, everyone eats food. So we are all part of this conversation. We are all part of the food systems. And so I think it's really important that we're all climate champions and advocating for healthier farming and food systems and a healthier world by acting on climate change. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sylvia. And thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Anika, first for creating time, for sharing your insights with us and also for ensuring that the discussion has actually been very, very interesting and very insightful. We don't take it for granted and we really hope this is not the end of the discussion, but rather the beginning of a partnership and the beginning of a discussion that is actually very important around our food and farming systems. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. We really hope you found this discussion to be interesting and insightful for you please give us a five star rating on spotify and also on apple podcast and all the podcast platforms where we're listening from give us a five star also share the podcast around thank you thank you thank you thank you